The following podcast contains spoilers and adult language. We recommend listening after you've already seen the movie in question, but we're not your boss. Do what you like. Brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matineemanatees. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. Because we figured, you know, why not? Hope you enjoy the show. Also, I mean that—that's perfectly appropriate for the movie. Yeah, I think. No, very much so. And I probably won't get much sleep tonight because of I just—I watched it like three hours ago, so uh, it's fresh in my brain, and it probably will be when I go to sleep tonight. Aw, sweet. Are you spooked? Uh, Did you spook yourself? Yeah, I really think that, like, if we really should have watched, like, a a scary movie for Halloween for October, we probably should have watched this one instead of Leprechaun. But... You know, I mean, this movie also takes place around Christmas. This one's a Christmas movie, though. 
Yeah, I know. I didn't even I didn't realize that until they said like, oh yeah, it's Christmas Eve. And I'm like, what it is? Okay then. The reason I forgot it, I think it's Christmas Eve is because the real events it's based on weren't on Christmas Eve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's part of Yeah, I I didn't even realize that. Like, I knew this was based on a book, but I didn't realize that it was based on actual events that happened, like, in the 60s, I think. Well, that's the fun thing. It's really not. It's it's yeah. based on a book that was based on a guy who went to the same place where things happened in the sixties. Right. I mean, okay. I mean, like the the bridge collapse is a thing that happened, but. Everything else about the movie is not, probably not true events. Well, well that's the fun thing. So, okay, so the movie we watched is 2002's Mothman Prophecies, colon, Mothman Saves Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> but um I I I researched this one wrong because sometimes when I'm interested in a movie I'll go and I'll look at other things the director's done and I'll look into you know how much it costs, were there any problems on set. For this one, I researched the, uh, the Mothman, like the actual events that took place. So um, I know every place where the movie makes stuff up or gets something wrong. And also, I think Mothman is my boyfriend now. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. But. So I researched a bunch of stuff in West Virginia in the 60s instead of movie stuff. And I know nothing more about the movie than before except where it made stuff up, which is everywhere. (laughs) So that's... I was gonna say it's probably most of it. It's not, you know, it's not a documentary. I know that because I watched several documentaries <laughs> on the Mothman. You did way more research about this movie than I even. Can. Like, my entire research of oh, this movie... It's not about the movie. Oh, no, I know. I, I, I know. I mean, besides, like, the background of the character, of not the character, of the, the Mothman and all that sort of stuff. Like, I didn't do anything. Like, the entire amount of research I did for this was... I looked at the Wikipedia article for the Mothman Prophecies book 
and then I looked at the the Silver Bridge Collapse um, article for like two minutes. So that's like all the I listened to a full three-hour recording of Art Bell interviewing John Keel. Oh, God. Uh, in the early 2000s when they were both still alive on Coast to Coast AM. So, <laughs> I've got... I've got stuff to talk about. It's just not at all poopy related. That's actually probably fine. <laughs> no, it, it, it was it was a fun weekend. It was just um, I was forced every once in a while to check in on myself. And be like, what does this have to do with anything? Why are we doing this? Oh, because it's fun and we're frivolous. <laughs> okay, just move back to it. So. That sounds like you had a good time, though. That's good. I really did. Mothman is my, uh, uh, favorite cryptid? Hang on. Yes. It's pretty. I it's mean, definitely the sexiest. <laughs> so is the is the information about the Mothman somewhat uh, accurate from this movie, or is it all just is the movie just wrong on every level for the about this? No, it, it's got it. What it does is it mashes together a bunch of things. Like Andrew Cole was the thing that happened in West Virginia in the 1960s, and Mothman was the thing that happened in West Virginia in the 1960s. And they're a couple hundred miles apart, and they have nothing to do with each other. But this movie's like, what if they're the same guy? And that's fun. Hmm. But it's, it's... Honestly, it's more interesting the way they did in the movie. It's just not what people claim to have actually happened, which is probably also fictional, but, you know, it's fun. Hmm. Okay. But this movie, th this is the few things I did learn about the movie, is that it was written by John Keel in book form, uh, The Moth and Prophecies, colon something about outer space, I think is the original title. I'm great. Was written by John Keel, cleverly disguised in oh, the movie right. as John Klein, but also Andrew Leek. Yeah, he's he's put himself in this twice. I didn't even think about the the name 
the like backwards name there. That's that's so dumb. Yeah, cause okay, so John Keel is a column writer. He does not. He never worked for the Washington Post. That's legitimate news. <laughs> <laughs> The closest thing to a reporter, well, she was an actual reporter, he he met up with the newspaper columnist in Point Pleasant who showed him around and stuff, and the book, he made her a cop. But like most things that happened to Connie in the movie happened to... I should have written her name down. Someone Frey or Fire who wrote a column called Where the Waters Intermingled. Mary Hire. It wasn't Fire. Rhymed with Fire. Um, but she was more of a journalist than he was, actually. Which is interesting. Uh, but the the script was written by Richard Haddam, who wrote Under Siege 2. How good. How great. And near as I can tell, that's the main thing he worked on before this. Directed by Mark Pellington who had, at this point, done music videos for Bon Jovi, Nine Inch Nails, Alice in Chains, Flaming Lips, Bruce Springsteen, and U2, but not movies. He was a very accomplished music video director in 2002. There was someone else who did that, and just in another movie that either we watched or I watched or something recently. I can't remember who it was. That might have been the Tomb Raider situation, wasn't it? Maybe. I can't remember. Or possibly Resident Evil? Or those... I think Definitely Resident Evil music comes on. It might have also been in the Bloodsport series. I think maybe the director of one of those did a bunch of music videos or something. I can't remember. I don't know. Movies blend together to me sometimes. In my brain. It's, I mean, there's... There's things that make some movies very distinct, and then some, nothing really happens for like an hour and a half <laughs> in British films. And it's a little hard to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is starring Richard Gere, who you may know from Pretty Woman or Officer and Gentleman, Mr. Jones, Runaway Bride, Autumn New York, mostly like romance movies. 
Um, seems to be his thing. Mm-hmm. Laura Lenny. She's in Congo. She's in the Truman Show. She's in Primal Fear. And she's in Love Actually. And a bunch of other things. She's pretty good, I think. Yeah. Will Patton. Who I think is the best thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. As, as Crazy Neighbor. He was in Armageddon and The Postman and Gone 60 Seconds and Remember the Titans. I think he was the coach. He was like almost a main character. Who's the other coach? There's like the main coach and the other coach. Or the sub coach or something. <laughs> Uh, he's great. I love him. Yeah. And Alan Bates was a really minor part, but he played Leek, and I, he was my other favorite part of the movie. Yeah. So I mentioned him, too, because he, he was in Hamlet, and he was Oliver in Oliver's Travels, which was a TV show. He was in the sum of all fears and Gosford Park. And fun and fact there's a bunch about of Alan Bates. Uh, I share a birthday with him. Ooh. Yeah. Well, now you've doxed yourself is the problem. I think there are a lot of people who have that birthday. I'm good. I mean, approximately what? one-third of one percent of people? Yeah. Ought to? It's fine. I'm not gonna worry about it. Alright. Well, I'm not giving them my address. I I didn't give them my address either. Just I said my birthday. I didn't give them the year either. Just the date. They can find it. No, they can't. They'll find you. No, they won't. All of our crazy fans will find you. It's fine. (laughs) I don't use Google Chrome anymore for my web browsing. So no one can find me. That's probably true, (laughs) According to my browser, I live in a little place called Switzerland. <laughs> so, no worries. Nice. Uh, the budget of this movie was $32 million, and worldwide it made $55 million, so I guess it's a success, but not much. Hey, that's not much and B that's crazy expensive for a horror movie yeah I mean especially for like that was in 2002 as much as we spent on like it last year or something (laughs) I mean especially for something that is mostly just people talking in rooms like that seems like a very high budget. 
Yeah, I assume a lot went treasured gear, and I assume a lot went to the bridge, but I could be wrong. The bridge, we'll get to it. That scene looks really good, and it turns out they made like four or five scale models to do it, so wow. I've been a lot of, a lot of that. Hmm. It got a 52 on the tomato meter, but a 56 audience appreciation score, so it's, you know, above, above middle, mm -hmm. just barely. Uh, 6.4 on IMDb, and on Amazon.com, with 4,000-something reviews averaged out, we're looking at four and a half stars out of five. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's, you know, it's like Amazon, for all of its faults, is the picture of consistency when it comes to movie ratings. Everything is equal. Nothing is, nothing's bad, nothing's good. Everything is four and a half stars. Well, no, everything's excellent, because four and a half stars out of five. That's fair, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't think it was going to be a bit to get one other source of ratings. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's where we are. Yeah. Well, uh, written by John Keel, who, I've noted here, does not look like Richard Gere. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Starring Richard Gere is not John Keel, till the original character named John Klein. <laughs> this movie... I like this movie. It's a bad movie, but I like it. <laughs> it might not be a bad movie. I'm, I'm geeking to the point where I can't even tell if it's an actual bad movie or not anymore. I think it's a bad movie, but I like it. I think it's, it's like, it's just barely above average, I think, for me, but it's not, it's not good. So, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see, I can definitely see the music uh, video director influence in, in its scene cuts and stuff. Yeah. And I can see that the uh, the main character is also the author who's describing things. <laughs> <laughs> and those two together make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. 
Uh, it starts as all the best movies do, with a black screen and white text saying something. <laughs> and that thing is this story is based on events which occurred in Point Pleasant, Virginia, and no, it is not. <laughs> um, <laughs> first and foremost. So, we have a double dragon situation. Oh no, that's not true. That's a contradiction. Never mind. Uh, within the movie itself, not uh, not just a lie about what happened. So never mind. I. <laughs> we have a journey there, and I got lost, but it's okay. Oh, sorry. The the double dragon thing where like there's a text crawl at the beginning of the movie and then the movie contradicts itself like four seconds later but this wasn't oh, right, this wasn't right. movie contradicting itself this was just movie lying about about the the events of reality yeah, it's a. I mean, what? I'll 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 be I'll be the the guide on that. It it's it's because it lies a lot, but mostly it rearranges, which is interesting. Okay. And kind of fun, cause some of it's real, and that's. Interesting. And some of it's real according to one person only who's John Keel, which means it's not. <laughs> and then some of it's clearly made up even according to him. So that's interesting. Uh, we get aerial shots and moth imagery to get us started. And we're introduced to Richard Gere, who's a man who checks spelling on the phone because he works for the Washington Post. <laughs> Princes, John Keel does not work for the Washington Post. Okay. He is dating Grace from Will and Grace. And he works at the Washington Post. <laughs> I'm just reading my notes. And I, I mean, we get it's just spoilers, I guess, for what happens in the next ten minutes. Um, her character dies very quickly, but there's like. It's one of these Hollywood tropes where they have, like, a male actor and a female actor who were in a relationship of some sort. And then it's like, the, they're supposed to be seemingly the same age, 
but in reality, the actors are like 20 years apart in age. And this is a, uh... Yeah, I, I was... No, sorry, continue. No, I wasn't just like... Richard Gere is like 20 years older than Deborah Massing. It's just... It always creeps me out when they do that shit, but like... They just keep doing it. No, we we had the exact same thought because uh, three lines down I have... They go to a big spooky house. Richard Gere is dating Grace from Will and Grace. Richard Gere was born in 1949, and Deborah Messing was born fully two days later, 1968. No reason I'm mentioning this. Which <laughs> <laughs> is sort of going on. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, could. could be his daughter. Without even, like, like, you know, non-adult high school pregnancy. Like, mm-hmm. just, just straight up a generation. Yep. But, cool, we both picked up on that. Yep. I'm proud of us. <laughs> uh, we get our wires and light distortion effects on street lights. There's a shot of lipstick and I laugh because I remember the chapstick thing trying to be scary later on. Oh, yeah. And, and he's like, I gotta go do this thing. And his friend's like, He's not gonna like that his star reporter, star best of Washington Post where you work is leaving. You're my favorite customer, Tommy. And that's uh, just in there so you know that Richard Gere is this guy. It's like who wrote the book. Like they. It's his boss who's saying, like, well, I need my star reporter to be at the Christmas party tonight. And it's like, who wrote this dialogue? What the f- No one says that ever. And they, for some reason, they made it not a period piece, because the events it's supposed to be based on took place in the 60s. They just it stripped 2002 in the uh, the movie, except they do one piece of a, a period piece, which is the reporter can afford a house in D.C. <laughs> so that's the 60s, but from then on it doesn't do it anymore. There's this this big spooky house. This is where I know their birth years. <laughs> and they're like, fuck this guy, let's fuck in the closet <laughs> like you do. Mm-hmm. And they don't get arrested. 
so that's fun. But they're gonna buy this house, and everything's turning up them, and life is great, except that, you know, she's with this weird guy who's like her dad, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then they, they so they're, they're happy to go buy a house, so they get in the car, and he's like, hey, Hey, how fast can you crash this car? (laughs) (laughs) As they're driving home at night on icy roads. And it was in this moment. Mothman? Oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. None of you go ahead. Mothman tackles the fucking car (laughs) and jumps directly into a brain. Here's I can tell. (laughs) <laughs> and actually this is the point where I was wondering like is this a strange even darker reboot of Beetlejuice cause like they crash the car and then like Richard Gere gets out of the car and it's like oh he's fine and I'm thinking like, okay, are we gonna have a Beetlejuice situation where they think they're alive, but they're actually dead? And then it turns out that no, in fact, is not that. Cause uh, his wife is in critical condition or something and she has to go to a hospital. And, um, they find out that she has some sort of like brain tumor or something. Like, yeah, well, well first to, to spook us out, like he he gets there and she wakes up and he talks to her. And she's like, "There's goddamn fucking Mothman! Did you not see that you piece of shit?" He's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> <laughs> then they put her in a clicky clacky tube to show that there's a there's a moth on her frontal lobe and then shows a picture of a moth nowhere near her front, frontal lobe <laughs> directed on her temporal lobe which I guess they assume we won't know which is fine. Or is it? I mean, probably the majority of people who watch this film are not gonna be medical doctors. Or might not even know that no, much gee. about anatomy, so. I don't know. But why say frontal lobe? The frontal lobe is on the front. Like, that's the easiest one to guess. Sorry, I... You know, that makes perfect sense. I wasn't actually listening. I was, like, misunderstanding. You said it was on the temporal or something? But they say it's on the front. In the picture, it's on the temporal. Okay. They say it's on the frontal lobe, which, like... 
Like, I'm not a doctor either, but the frontal lobe is on the front. I know that part. <laughs> Maybe most people don't know where the temporal lobe is. It's under the temple. That's, it's not, you know, this is not yeah. insider knowledge. But I checked to make sure that I was right, and I was. They just said that for no reason. <laughs> Uh, they also called a glioblastoma, which I think everyone also knows is called a glioblastoma. I don't even know what those root words are, it's just that's a <laughs> word people use and it's not pronounced like that. But they put her in a big clicky clacky tube and diagnosed her with a uh, bad brain make fall down and she's gonna die so she doesn't have to do the rest of this movie <laughs> they had one really good line here I thought which is just Richard Gere complaining to the window but saying like it's like the universe says oh there you are a happy couple I've been looking for you which is a good line, except it's also, we just saw that. That was the whole beginning of the movie. <laughs> but they sort of explain what we we're supposed to take away from that, which I sometimes like if I'm not paying attention, but I'm still paying attention at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He goes to check out the crash site sees weird goop on his bumper that he didn't see until he drove there, I guess, because the bumper's been on his car this whole time. Not even there. It's the car he used to get there. So... Interesting. He drives the crash site and notices there's weird goop on the bumper. So that's how that works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then it is highlighted that the lights on traffic cones are often spooky at night. Yeah. That's true. This is my first aside. I wanted to ask you, does does Gear have a really flattened affect in this movie, or is he just playing depressed? Um... Because it seems like he's emoting nothing, which could just be a choice. Because he's supposed to be all bummed out, but it seems like at this point he wouldn't even be yet. So it seems like it's a very kind of... He breaks out of it later. He does a really good scene on the phone later, but... Yeah. It seems like for most of the movie he's just giving kind of nothing, you know? I feel like it's probably a character choice just 
because it seems like the the character of John Klein like it seems like everything is going great for him him is like this um, super successful white collar journalist for the Washington Post he's marrying you know Deborah Messing and then like everything falls apart in the span of like a few days so maybe it's just a choice I think at least at the beginning is like he's, he's feeling like nothing's gonna work because uh, his wife has like this terminal tumor thing in her brain. Um, she's gonna die. Glioblastoma. Right. Um, but like, I think this might be just sort of the beginning of his, I can't think of words, sorry. It's not depression, like his, um, his resigned, like, I cannot think of the word shit. Um, nonchalance is not the word at all, but it's sort of like he just doesn't seem to yeah, he, like, like you were saying, it just seems like he kind of, he seems like he's kind of given up on a lot of things. So, I think that's probably what it is. Like, the, like even after she dies and then two years pass, it still feels kind of like he kind of, he never really gets over her death. Because, like, she says when she's in the hospital, like, she blames herself for everything that happened, for, like, the crash and for the, the tumor and everything. And it's like, no, that's your fault, you know? There was a giant spooky mothman that flew out of nowhere and scared the shit out of you that anyone would have crashed the car at that point. And like... Yeah, a mothman flew into your brain that... Yeah. You don't have the proper shielding for Yeah, that. it's not... Very like, few people do. So like, I feel like maybe just the fact that he feels like he's never really gonna get over this whole thing because it seemed like everything was going great and then just 
in the blink of an eye, everything's just gone. Or not everything, but, you know, like the, the love of his life and everything, like the passion in his life is just gone. So he's just probably going through the motions for the next two years and his job and everything. So, I, I don't know, it just seems like like a character choice to me. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I think that's more or less the conclusion I came to also, but I, I was just wondering what you thought. Because I've seen him in other things where he has emotions and stuff. Yeah. Um, but... Grace dies off camera because he was dicking around driving his bumper around town to look at it. <laughs> and this this nurse, who we never see again except one time when a hole in a wall reminds Richard of his friend the nurse that he once says she was drawing angels and puts notepad full of those clearly demonic shit I've ever seen. Well, I, I feel like this guy's probably not the smartest thing. Or this not the smartest person in the world. I don't know if he's a nurse. He might have been like an orderly or something. Because... But he might have been the Mothman. That, you know? Shit. I never even thought about that. I never even... I never even considered that. But, like... His entire... Like, his two lines in the movie were... She knew. And then Richard's like, What? He's like... She dawn angels. And then, you know, it shows this horrifying Mothman scene of drawings in this notebook. And it's like, okay, sure, dude, whatever. I'll accept your explanation if you please don't twist me into a pretzel. Thank you. It's weird. He's weird, but it's the Mothman, so he's he's allowed to be weird. Yeah. Or he's not. Or every every extra that doesn't have a name is Mothman. I don't know how it works. He's got powers. Yeah. But meanwhile, it's two years later. Richard Gere's on TV now, and apparently it's 2004. And he's got to drive to Richmond to interview the governor. But he's got a friend who's trying to set him up on dates, and he's uncooperative. And he's like, oh no, I can't, I can't deny to have that thing. This was like, no, you don't, you fucking liar. <laughs> um, and it's it's a little awkward. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's his friend is 
pretty aggressive in trying to, like, make him sort of move on from his, from his, I don't know if they were married or not, um, his relationship with Deborah Messing, and, like, I mean, just let him take the time he needs at this, you know, like, don't push him to try and get into a new relationship, dude. So, my opinion. I mean, two years is a while, but it's not long for, like, a, a lasting more than years buying a house together thing. Yeah. Like, it's a long time if you had three lunches with a girl and then she ghosted you and then you tried to <laughs> stalk her for a while and then do it for th- two years. But, like... Like, that's not that long for widows. Yeah. Widowers. Yeah. I mean, if they'd been together for, like, Uh, 10, 12, 15 years or something, or whatever, then, like, I get that. Well, she would have been in high school at that point, I think, but... Not quite. She would have... No, no, never mind. 15 years, yeah, she would have been, but... Um, like, 10 years... She would have been like twenty-four. I'm gonna keep making age jokes throughout this. That's fair, absolutely fair, and appropriate to do that. And it turns out he 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 bought the house anyway. <laughs> He's just living in in dead wife attic um, this whole time. <laughs> Dead Wife Addict would be the great name of a death metal band. Dead Wife Addict? Uh, mm. Yeah! Yeah! Certain type. <laughs> That's why I said death metal band. Not like a basic heavy metal band. No, no, I gotcha, so. I gotcha. Uh, but on his way to, uh, Richmond, Virginia, mm-hmm. um, my, my mental map of this area is not great, but it's a different direction than, uh, Point Pleasant is the important. Yeah, I I did have to look um, up a map of the United States just to confirm. Like I know they show a map of of West Virginia and stuff, but like I had to look just to make sure that yeah, Point Pleasant is exactly the opposite direction of where he needed to be going to go interview the 
Governor of Virginia. The Eastern Seaboard's really small, so it's so hard to tell. Like, yeah, I mean, West Virginian, Virginian, Kentucky, and Ohio and stuff, for all, like, you can get to each of them in about two hours. Like, I don't know where this shit is. Yeah. But, yeah, different directions. Mm-hmm. His car breaks down. His phone is broken also, and it is 2.30 in the morning. Uh, so he gets out and decides to wake people up in the middle of the night instead of just chilling for like a couple hours. Because it is 2.30 in the morning. I guess it's winter, so the sun won't rise for... Like, maybe four hours instead of, you know... Three. Or two two and a half, but... But, so he's he's burning on people's door at 2.30 in the morning. There's random Mothman lightning in the background. They love this effect. They're going to use a lot. <laughs> he gets spooked by the ground for reasons that are honestly beyond me. I watched that scene three times, but he's just... <laughs> he hasn't been outdoors in a long time. Like, ah, oh, fuck. What is this? It's like a river, but it's made out of concrete. <laughs> Um, Look at these green blades sticking out of the ground. That's hard as shit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So he... He wakes these people up at 2.30 in the morning... And gets rightly thrown in the bathtub mist with a shotgun. <laughs> Which is exactly what I would do. Also, I mean, getting kidnapped is normal when you pull over in the south. You should know that. <laughs> but... I like the foresight of putting him in the bathtub. It's like, this has to get a little blasty. I don't want to clean it up. Spear <laughs> so in the bathtub, mister. And you just sit there. Uh, and it turns out, because he calls the police instead of just blowing him away, which is nice of him. The Laura Linney comes by and saves him. And she's the one who's loosely based on the reporter who wrote Where the Waters Intermingle, whose name I still didn't write down. I wrote down a call name, not hers. That's hmm. lame of me. Actually, I'm just going to look that up. This yeah. should be in the podcast. That's a good idea. Mary Hire. 
There you go. It wasn't fire. It rhymed with fire. Ah. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so she's the one who Connie is kind of based on, except she was a columnist, not a cop. But that's the, uh... That's the one, man. I'm over the place. I had a bunch of caffeine, because I, I didn't... I woke up pretty early this morning, and it might have been too much. Hmm. It's a possibility. Yeah. She comes around and saves him. She's loosely based on, on Mary Hire. And he's like, you have a TV? <laughs> you know me from TV in your house? It's uh, not the... She takes him into town. It's not the last time he's gonna make a... Hillbilly reference specifically to Laurel Henny. Yeah. Oh, but and we learned that the reason. Well, sorry, you go. Oh no. Um. I, oh, I think you were probably just about to cover it, but um, the the guy uh, who. Richard Gears went to his house. He said he tells I think he tells Richard Gear and Laura Lenny that um this guy is like stalking them. Like he's shown up at 2 30 a.m. each of the past two nights specifically like knocking on their door and asking to use the phone um but he obviously hasn't done that or at least he says he hasn't done it and we have to believe him because there's no visual evidence that he has done that so Laurel and he like she basically says well did he steal anything did he break in and enter did he do a bunch of other did he like you know attack you or something and the guy says no and she says well um can't really charge him with anything, which, like, he totally can. He probably broke a bunch of laws if he actually was doing that. So, I don't know how good of a cop she is. Well, I mean, I think you could... It'd be like harassment or something relatively minor, I think. Because you can knock on someone's door and ask about stuff. It's really rude to do in the middle of the night. And they don't have to answer. But, uh... 
I think he committed a slightly larger crime when he kidnapped and put him in the bathtub for murdering. Yeah, but... That's just how these things go. Yeah. But the important thing is we know that either someone's impersonating him or this guy's crazy or Richard Gere is crazy. This is like a Tyler Durden sort of thing. <laughs> I'm a fan of that theory myself. It could be, but uh, could be. It'd be more interesting if, if he is the Mothman. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah, I feel like this movie, like, starts a lot of plot threads and then just leaves them behind, like, throughout the course of the film. Like, I can't think of a... It's like... Yeah, I don't know. It, It just feels... Like, it just sort of sees a nice plot thread and it leaves it behind five minutes later. And, like, that could be a really interesting theory to, like, weave into this. Is maybe Richard Gere's the Mothman. But then I obviously don't follow through with that or most of anything else. Yeah, well, also, I mean, because Richard Gere is, is John uh, Keel, he would never let himself be the Mothman. Right, of course. He, He's a heroic investigator yeah. who comes and, and looks for Mothman. Yeah, he, he can't be both the Mothman and the Mary Sue. It's a hotel room, and I, I Google mapped this just to see. On his way from Washington, D.C. to Richmond, Virginia, which is 108 miles, he accidentally drove to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is 373 miles. So I can see why he's weirded out by that. Yeah, especially because he, I think he says at some point that he drove that far in an hour and a half. So that's like, what, 230 miles an hour or something he's driving? Give or take. It's pretty fast. I mean... I can understand getting lost because, true story, all the roads in New England look identical at a certain time of year when the leaves are off them. Like, I drove all over that area and it's, it's, it's very samey. 
except for the distance. So I get it. It's middle of the night, so maybe, you know, maybe. Yeah, I'm just saying. No, nothing's that weird yet. I'm not gonna discount the fact that it's entirely possible that he did drive 370 miles in the wrong direction. It's just Also, like, he's driving out of here or something. It might be able to hit 230. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... I mean, also, like, I feel like... Whenever he... He says, like, oh, I left at one... I been drove from 1 o'clock till 2.30. I think he was on the road by the time one o'clock came out. So, like, maybe if he started driving at, like, 11 o'clock or midnight or something, you know, two and a half hours to get 370 miles, it, it's still difficult, but more feasible if you drive 120. 20 miles an hour or something. I don't know. And he's a writer. He works on the hill in D.C. He's on cocaine. (laughs) Like... That's just how we do in that town, baby. (laughs) There's no... (laughs) So... So I'm just saying, it's possible. I could definitely get lost on those roads because they're all identical trees of the same kind and the same height. And they, they, it's all through foothills. Like, the entire Appalachians, uh, where they drove, where they, where they put the freeways are very same area. The Appalachians themselves and the off-road are, are very nice and, and different, but that's all I'm saying. Okay, that's fair. The automatic mechanic's name is Auto, <laughs> which is wonderful. See, I didn't realize uh, I, did he actually say his name? Because I didn't realize that until the end of the, in the credits when the name Otto came up. And I thought, he's not the auto mechanic, is he? I don't remember. Because I have the, I have that, um, if I move the mouse, it pops up and, and does the part of the credits currently on screen. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I read it in the the show notes or if I read it on like the sign or something. He doesn't say it at any point. Okay. But it might be on the sign like it's the autos auto mechanic or something. Okay. Um or not, I don't even know. But 
it's the best decision this movie made, I think. Agreed. He can't find anything wrong with his car, and he doesn't charge him for a diagnostic. Yeah, it's... Uh, and they, they spin that like it's spooky. <laughs> and not just him being really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good... It's, it's a good, like, practice for maintaining customers. It's bad business practice for, like, keeping a business afloat. But, like, I, I respect the decision. If there's nothing wrong with your car, I'm not going to charge you for it. Yeah, it's weird to do for an out-of-towner. Because, like, Mm -hmm. he's not going to come back. This isn't going to be his regular spot, Otto. You know that, right? (laughs) It's just half an hour you don't get back. Otto is the Mothman. Like, he knew that Richard Gere was going to stay there. One of the Mothmen. Uh, yeah, there's, there's probably just a bunch of them. I don't know. But see, Otto helps Richard Gere out. And the Mothman's main goal in this movie, near as I can tell, is to get Richard Gere fired. <laughs> So, so for that reason alone, I'm going to say it doesn't track that Otto's the Mothman. Okay. That's fair. So he wanders around downtown and decides to harass the same people he harassed the night before uh, to seem more innocent. Yeah. And he, like, chests up to this guy. <laughs> like, they're three inches apart. Who's <laughs> he's trying to call him down. awkward. Yeah, and... Like, I, I actually did think for a second, is he trying to fight this guy? <laughs> oh, no, he just... He talks very close, and the way that that John Keel communicates in this movie is to grasp people firmly by the side of the head and breathe his words directly into their nostrils. <laughs> it's a... God... It's a strange pattern he keeps doing. <laughs> oh, Lord. I don't know if they actually say anything important here, but he decides he's going to go back the same night, or to the same place that night to bother the same people again. But I guess he's just sitting in his car watching to see if another him shows up. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Borderline logical. 
I kind of get that. Yeah. He's not covering his ass very well. No, he's still there. Yeah, then... Copley shows up and she's like, Hey, this is exactly what they said would happen, you said wouldn't. <laughs> can I... Can I just say real quick, um, I refer to Laura Lane's character as Cop Lady for the entirety of my notes. I just think it's funny that you mentioned Cop Lady specifically as that phrase, so. I mean, I guess there aren't any other cops. She could just be Cop. Uh, yeah. I feel like usually when there's a cop lady character, all the other cops and like extras are men, but there aren't any in this movie, so she's just cop in this movie. That's true. Which is fair. I, I was preparing for a trope I thought was going to come up, but it didn't, so hmm. credit there, Mothman movie. Yeah. She's not the only woman on 300 men police force. <laughs> uh, she believes him for some reason. And then decides to just divulge all the confidential information she has access to as a cop in this area. <laughs> She's like, Hey, you know, read some police reports. It's funny. Like, <laughs> at first when, when they're, like, going through all these papers, and it's like, wait, they're going through police reports? Like, and it's like, okay, maybe they're just showing us, the viewer, the various police reports, and it's like, no, Richard Gere is reading the police reports. Like, he's not a cop. What are you doing? So, you're a reporter who's obviously suffering some mental health issues. Guess who we've got in Wipro? <laughs> Just horrendous. <laughs> Eventually she's like, hey, I have a picture. Do you like it? And it's another <laughs> picture of Mothman. <laughs> so she's like, oh, I have to harass the lady that gave this to you in confidence. <laughs> so he does. And she goes with him. And they, like, go to the place where she saw the Mothman. She's describing it in detail. And you can see the, like, anguish on her face as she's describing it. Richard is like, yeah, tell me more. It's like, calm down, man. So this one, to give credit where credit's due, this is one of the real things that happened. Or the real thing that someone who wasn't John Keel actually attested to. Mm -hmm. um, 
like the lady who saw something that uh, would come to wrapped into the Mothman Mythos descriptions outside of her kitchen door at night is real and did actually say this. Okay. So, that if it seems like it goes nowhere and it's just sort of been moved for no reason, that's why <laughs> it's one of the very few things that are actually basing this on, so they, they put that in there. Okay. They also note that someone at the fire department is getting weird messages. Near as I can tell, this isn't anywhere but John Kill's book. Hmm. He was getting, like, a bunch of, like, static and high-pitched noises and howls and whines and stuff. Rather than people. I, yeah. I think he said he was getting... Somebody was talking, but he was talking too fast or in a foreign language or something. Something weird. Yeah, it's just, he's getting prank phone calls, basically. Because mm-hmm. um, the Mothman's just, uh, just sloppy and this one just for fun. <laughs> it was, um, it wasn't here, it was later on that I was realizing that this movie is also kind of reminiscent of the TV show Dead Like Me. I don't know if you, did you ever watch that? Is that the one where she's like a grim reaper? Yeah, and she has to like remove the souls of people who are about to die. It kind of just that, just like that whole concept of like the sort of prediction of you know, death and sort of thing. It reminded me a little bit of that, but then again it also reminded me of Final Destination which I don't know if that came out before this or not. Probably not. I can't remember that really hard on the bridge scene. That's yeah. Not a I think. But I mean, like, yeah, if he's a if a psychopomp, that that's like what that's banshees and everything. That's. That's an old sort of myth. Mm-hmm. But near as I can tell, the prank calls to the fire department were not a thing in real life. And I guess at this point, uh, John's just a deputy because he's sort of just following the cop around everywhere and <laughs> going to all our interviews. I guess so. With her? Hmm. But here comes the second thing that actually happened, or the people actually said happened, um, which is the quarry sighting. 
where some teens saw a really bright light uh, and someone walking through it. And that one was based on a real thing, except the, uh, I think it was two guys, not a couple making out or something. Hmm. Um, I think they were just friends, or at least said they were just friends because the 60s. I don't know, but this <laughs> one also is, is a real thing. Hmm. Um, except he has his eyes got all all red and messed up from seeing the light and they're like doctors can't explain it um it's conjunctivitis (laughs) it happens to eyes when they see something very bright it's conjunctivitis it's only even means eye irritation. West Virginia, get your shit together. (laughs) (laughs) Their doctor doesn't know this thing. Well, yeah. Um, But it's literally just, it's a it's it's an eye condition that happens when you see a really bright light. The, the newspapers noted like it's interesting they got you conjunctivitis from seeing something really bright so we think it was actually a bright light but it's not <laughs> you don't have to doctors can't explain it guy it's sometimes things just <laughs> <laughs> He fell on rocks and he got cut up. Doctors can't explain why. It's like, it's because of the rocks. It's fine. (laughs) You know? He gets his first prank phone call at the hotel. It's quiet. And he just kind of hangs around in his room for a while, but it's creepy. I think the new suspense pretty good, actually. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a creepy hanging around your room in complete silence. Yeah. Notably, when I'm in a hotel and nothing's going on, I usually turn the TV on, but that's just me. Yeah, I, um, I pretty much, if I, if I'm not doing something, or even usually if I am doing something, um, I almost always have to have some sort of sound, um, just in, either in the background or on my headphones or something, whether it's like a podcast or a a video or something, just, I I always basically have to have something playing in the background. Because if I don't, I will go insane. 
I mean, I don't know if I'm doing something, but like he's not. If he's reading, fair enough. But he's he's only reading some of the time. The rest of the time, he's sort of like sitting around, rubbing his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you're allowed to do, but it's it's. It adds to the spookiness of the atmosphere that he's doing nothing and sitting in the dark, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that that's, that's not something I could do. Like, if I was... If I had... If I was just, like, sitting in a room with, like no other sound or anything or no no way to produce some sort of sound uh, I would probably lose my mind but that's me although also maybe he was listening for wings oh yeah he's gonna 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 Catch it. Mm-hmm. Very possibly. Um, they have an arrow shot off the town. They actually do a nice job of establishing the setting. This wasn't filmed in Point Pleasant, but it looks a lot like the town. If you look up pictures of the actual place and documentaries or just the Mothman Festival they have there or something, they found a really similar looking town to film. They do a pretty great job um, with getting the same, I don't know, downtown vibe, I guess. Hmm. Me. Uh, I don't know where they filmed the summer New Pittsburgh, I guess, which is only a couple hundred miles away, but, mm-hmm. um, the first guy, again, finds him at Thrift Shop. I don't know his name either, but he's first guy. Uh, the guy who almost murdered him in the bathtub, um, and tells him that he saw something weird in the mirror, possibly a mothman, <laughs> and he hears weird noises coming from the sink. Yeah. And like, down somewhere. I think he said it the voice from the sink said 99 will die Denver 9. Yeah, and they repeat it for an hour, which is interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I would think after like a few minutes if I if that was happening to me, if I was hearing a voice coming from my bathroom sink, 
and it went on for more than a couple minutes, I'd probably just go back to bed. Cause like, and I get up to go to, you know, if I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, I'm not gonna stand around in my bathroom for an hour listening to a voice coming from the sink. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to bed. Or I'm gonna maybe investigate. Yeah, if it's not saying anything new. Yeah. Like, at some point, it's like, okay, is there, is there something else? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, ask it some questions or something. Like, yeah, like, so... Yeah. Are you stuck? <laughs> um, this one also never happened unless in the book. Uh, it's not one of those. It, it's made up for it. But he's, he's just sort of The note he took has a picture of the Mothman on it that he drew. Um, And his ears. He said he didn't draw that, but we don't actually know that. He just said he wrote down the words. He didn't say he wrote He drew the Mothman, but he probably did. Who are we getting? It's basically just he's giving a lot of evidence for himself being seeing things or having fugue states or something. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing yet that seems like it's more than him just being weird. And it sort of seems like it's it's lending more credence to uh, Richard Gere being like, yeah, I was never there before. He was just seeing things because he's clearly seeing and hearing things. Yeah. Um, but also, I just really like this actor. I'm noticing he's uh, he's really solid. Mm-hmm. Uh. Because Richard Gere apparently recognizes some of the symptoms, or he recognizes the drawing at least, because he's drawing things a lot like his wife drew. Yeah. Uh, he insists he also go to the hospital and look for a glioblastoma. <laughs> But nothing is wrong. Although, if this is the same doctor who couldn't explain conjunctivitis. what conjunctivitis <laughs> was, maybe, maybe you should get a second. Yeah. Because this guy doesn't have a medical degree. He's just... His mechanic shop wasn't as good as Otto's, so he got a coat and just started telling people nothing was wrong with him. But... 
Yeah, that... I mean, the doctor character really bothered me, cause like, cause... Like he said, oh, you just had a migraine. And like, yeah, but then Rishigus to explain, like, no, he's he's seeing and hearing he's seeing and hearing things that are not there. And also his ear was bleeding and doctor's like, Nope, migraine, don't care. Like Ears bleed sometimes. No one can explain it. <laughs> no one knows why. Must have cut himself on some rocks. <laughs> well, I shoved a Q-tip so far in my ear that I ruptured a bunch of blood vessels. <laughs> now there's blood coming out of my ear. Can't explain why that would happen. Must be my That's brain. crazy. That's... <laughs> <sighs> just... Conjunctivitis is such a fucking cop. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah. So now they're having dinner together. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're friends now, and that's, that's cute. Yeah. You've made friends with the crazy guy who tried to kill you in a bathtub. <laughs> um, but then the news come on, and it says Flight 9 out of Denver crashed and killed 99 people. And I have to admit, they're like, Okay, I'm spooked. That was spooked. <laughs> it did that well. I'm... I'm spooked now. <laughs> I got... Sufficiently I got my spooky feelings going. <laughs> yeah. That's just my nose from three lots. Like, okay, movie. Alright. I'm... <laughs> also, he's just, I love his stare. <laughs> uh, cop volunteers out of pretty much nowhere. She also has dreams sometimes. And hers is about water and packages. She's she's underwater. There's a bunch of packages wrapped in as Christmas presents. There's light from below, but not above. And then she hears, wake up number 37. And that scene doesn't go anywhere, 
but it's a check I was gone. They've <laughs> kind of not so much hung in the background as put in the middle of the stage and pointed at for a couple minutes <laughs> and then put away. <laughs> Because it is unprompted and unfollowed upon in this context. Yeah, that, but it's a it's a well filmed sequence of the uh, sort of the, the dark swimming in water thing. Like it's good. Underwater thrashing around scene. Mm-hmm. It's, it's well done visually. Yeah. Um, it's just out of exactly nowhere. <laughs> uh, Bleeding Hair Guy tells. Richard Gere that he saw the Mothman at the cement plant, which is also a thing that happened. It was just someone else who did it. All these things so far have been different people. (laughs) But he was spotted at a cement plant. This is a real thing. What isn't so much real is that he walked up to him and told him that the equator 300 will die. (laughs) And then it's less spooky because he already has newspaper about an Ecuador earthquake um, in which 300 people died. So... Gears getting both the prediction and the look it was real at the same time, which is much easier to fake, but he already saw the news thing, so fair enough. Yeah. And I guess, like, maybe Bleeding Ear Guy's just illiterate and he just said Ecuador? And he didn't oh. know that was a country, so he wrote Equator? Maybe. Well, like, he didn't write it, he just, like, just I said don't know Equator. Equator, if he's just. <laughs> Shit, I never so, even thought about the fact that those could, like. Those two words could totally pass for each other, and I never even thought about that before. Yeah, like I, I had thought of like, why is Mothman being so damn coy? Then like, maybe he isn't. <laughs> and bleeding ear, I just didn't know Ecuador was a country. <laughs> okay, near the equator. Okay. <laughs> just. Uh, it's it does seem to me that like. At least in a couple of instances, the, the Mothman is pretty literal with his predictions. Like the whole, the, the big crux of 
the second or like the final act of the movie is the whole like the great tragedy will happen on the river Ohio and like it's a big fake out what one thing is and then it's like it's the, the bridge thing is like literally over the river Ohio River so it's like they thought it was going to be something that was close to the Ohio River but it was something that was actually happening exactly on the Ohio River so I don't know, maybe the Mothman's just... Yeah, I didn't say next to the Ohio yeah, River, bitch. Exactly. I said on the exactly. Ohio River. Mothman's yeah. sassy. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I respect that. He's sassy, and he's strong, and he is my boyfriend. <laughs> um... It's Richard Gears is playing the the messages he got to the cop, and it's it's really hard to tell if they're having like a romantic moment, or this is just how he talks because he is such a close talker. <laughs> That he already did this to random guy who tried to kill him the night before. That I honestly can't tell. Like, are we... Is there supposed to be an attraction here? Or does he just spit his words directly in the eyes of people as a matter Gross. Gross. This this would never fly post COVID. <laughs> like back up, start your sentence again. This is not. <laughs> We're not married, okay? You can't talk this close to me. Uh, Gordon. Gordon, I wrote his name down yeah. here. Gordon is bleeding ear guy. Mm-hmm. Gordon calls, and he's like, "In injured cold is here, and that's the name of of the Mothman." Injured cold. I th- did I mention this before? I don't know. That's that's another thing that happened in like West Virginia in the 60s, but it's not it's not even related. Hmm. Yeah, like Andrew Cold's the, the grinning man who was a weird guy that like three different people saw by the side of the road who interviewed them. Hmm. 
seems like one of those cork boards with all the yarn going from right, the pushpins yeah. is the story where it's just like what if this is because of this is because of this okay. I got like, you. yeah maybe um, I see um, but I just wanted to, wanted to mention because I've been doing so much research for no reason. <laughs> and I might as well put it somewhere as if it serves a purpose. That Injured Cold was in fact a weird Fordian thing that people noticed in like Petersburg, West Virginia, which is like, 
a couple hours away, but same state, hmm. and same-ish time. Okay. But in this version, Andrew Cold is the Mothman, and he's like, Gordon, are you fucking me? It's like, no, because I know that you grew up in a greenhouse. <laughs> it's like, okay, but where'd I just put my watch? He's like, it's in your shoe, and you put it under the, the thing. And he's like, what do I hold in my hand? It's like, chapstick. Which is... The only time... That word has been tried to use, has been attempted to be a creep. It's the the word chapstick. Listen, <laughs> I don't know how to put this in a sentence. I've never heard the word chapstick as a horror movie uh, symbol crash before. <laughs> and I'm not convinced it works. It, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, like, the voice up to that point, it's just sort of like a distorted... Uh, slightly higher pitched, slightly lower pitched voice, like a double voice that's talking to him relatively normally, and then he, you know, he tries to... I, I still don't understand why he doesn't, like, Try to ask the injured cold mothman character more interesting or pertinent questions like you know what what's happening to this town you know why is there a why was there a mothman shaped tumor in my on my wife's brain? He's asking like, what do I have in my hand? Where did I put my watch? It's like, yeah, for for reporter, he's real bad. Yeah. Maybe this is more of Jonathan Keel's, or John, Jonathan Keel? John Keel, I can't remember. Guess it doesn't matter, it's the same thing. Maybe that's more of him, like his style of questioning coming out, making it more obvious he's not a reporter. I don't know. But like... Yeah, it was just like... Yeah. You know, just imagine you have Mothman on the phone 
and the questions you ask are like, yeah, well, what, what's this book say? What's my, like, you, there's important questions like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to come over? I have a hotel room. <laughs> Things like that, you know? <laughs> Sends the cop over at the same time. Uh, Mothman says they've already met, which is a hint that maybe it was that weird nurse. Mm-hmm. Or, or that it was the guy that hit, hit his, his car. Yeah. Or the Mothman is the ghost of Grace, Will and Grace this whole time just being mean. Also possible. Or possibly Otto. Or possibly just Gordon of the mechanic. Right. Oh, or Gordon, yeah. I didn't think about that. Mm. Or that they've already met because Mothman is just the other personality that Richard Gere puts on whenever he thinks he's going to sleep. Yeah. Project Mayhem. <laughs> we haven't reviewed that movie yet. I don't want to spoil anything. I, unless you're spoiling it for the audience, don't worry. I've already watched it. No, I know that. Don't, don't want to spoil I it for the audience. It. Okay, it's just that's fair. Just that's fair. Um. And he says, you can't find your wife by looking. Which is a neat turn of phrase. I like that as code for, like, she's gone. Mm-hmm. Around then, cop shows up at Gordon's house and knocks on the door. And he's been asleep. Mm-hmm. And he never called. But... Because the Mothman's just been being a stinker and doing his impression of people's voices that he's good at. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, they do lab stuff with recording. And he says it wasn't created by human vocal cords. Which I, I'm not an audio engineer. If you say you can do that, man, all right. <laughs> but uh, 
pretty sure you can just distort things and they'll be electronic signals that way. It's not a... Well, yeah, I mean, that's... It's not like a complicated thing to get like a voice modulator or something, you know? I mean, they do that with, like, anonymous interviews. We would, we would never do such a thing. No, of course not. We would never do such no. a thing. No. Um, Absolutely as not. As voices. We would never record We would never lie to you, our dear, faithful, wonderful, innocent audience. Who'd never lie to you. Land, land people who listen to us talk down here in the bar, you. Um. <laughs> but it's possible, I've heard, to just sort of fuck with your voice a little yeah, bit. Yeah, to like modulate it, like, like change the pitch or change the speed to make it sound like you might have a higher or lower pitched voice. And maybe talking slightly faster, yeah, slightly slower than you would normally. Audio wizards, sexy audio <laughs> wizards can do that, I've heard. <laughs> um, <laughs> sexy audio wizards, another great name for a band. I don't know, man. <laughs> that one's... <laughs> it's a little pick-me. I don't know. <laughs> I just... I can see the converse from here, you know? <laughs> I don't know about this one. That's um, has a book the movie thinks we might be dumb so it shows us the dictionary definition of prescience or precognition um, just you know like oh that's when it's pre cognizant uh, but he's got a book by some guy in Chicago who's also Jonathan Keel, because this guy's name is Leek, which just Keel's fell back. And he he's an author who writes books like Keel writes in real life. And he lives in Chicago, whereas Keel in real life lives in New York. Never DC in any circumstance. <laughs> um, so he's put himself as two characters in this book, which I gotta say, I just admire the guts. 
Uh, I've never done that. I should. That's a, yeah. Like, this character is an author insert character, and this character is also an author insert character, and they do fuck in chapter three. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> it's all me. <laughs> Double Mary C right there, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm both the main character, the love interest, and the villain in this book. <laughs> so, it's, so we're getting like an Austin Powers in Goldmember kind of, kind of situation at that point. Right, I forgot he already did that. Or like a, I would. Or like a, <laughs> Eddie Murphy in most of his films post 1995. Did you know that in Vampire in Brooklyn he plays like six different characters? I didn't even know that. I thought it was just the vampire. I have not seen that one. Well, I'm going to put that on the list because if I can't make you watch every cryptid movie ever, I'm going to go back and try and make you watch every vampire I'm quite alright to watch every cryptid movie ever, quite honestly. Hell, I'll watch every vampire movie. I don't mind. I'm, you know... I think the only other one I can think of is Harry and the Hendersons, though. <laughs> Which I do want to see again. I know I never watched the movie. I think I watched a bit of the TV show, but... They did a TV show? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they did. Oh. Shit, I... I... Think now. Now I'm doubting my memory, even though I am sleep deprived. Are you sure you're not thinking of Alf? Uh, give me one second. It is a TV series. I wasn't completely crazy this time. Shit. Um. I didn't know that. It was... It was from... It, sorry, it aired from 1991 1993. 72 episodes. Um, it didn't have John Lithgow, unfortunately. Well, he was doing that alien show, right? Uh, no, that was later. Was it young? That was a few years after. Third Rock from the Sun was a few years after that. Uh, Joseph Gordon left. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Uh, four different people played Harry over the course of three years. 
Yasu. Yeah, no, but it's just like... It's like Chewbacca, so you can kind of just... Yeah, it's just... All I need to be is eight feet tall. Which I, I'm assuming all these guys were. Um, I, I assume George Henderson was the, the, the paternal figure who's played by Bruce Davidson on the TV show. So, hmm. there you go. Well, now I'll have to check that out, too. Yeah, like, I... I yeah, I've got a lot of homework for this movie. <laughs> I can definitely remember watching maybe one or two episodes of the show. I I don't think I watched the, the, uh, the movie. But, like, I knew that John Lithgow was in the movie. But... That was just, I think, out of either research reasons, like looking at John Lithgow's filmography or something, but I don't think I ever saw the movie. And I have to see where it's available to watch, because now I'm curious about watching that. Anyway, sorry, we can, we can continue. <laughs> Well, I was actually thinking this might be a, a good, a good ad break oh, yeah. point because what he's about to do is he's gonna head off to Chicago and interview himself <laughs> because he called him on the phone. He was like, "No, fuck off." So, so that's. You know, a cliffhanger that that John Keel's gonna go interview Naj Leak for this But do you want to hear us talk about Anchor.fm for? We should do another recording <laughs> that's not 10 minutes long, but it's working so far. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Alright. Man, wasn't that a good ad read? Oh, hell yeah. That's the best. One of, one of the better... We... Told- Totally unique and original. Completely. Yeah, we. Uh, completely. We should, yeah. we should re record that one, be a little bit shorter. Probably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, ideally, everyone's asleep by now, but if they're not, it's probably pretty repetitive. Yeah. I mean, they can always just skip ahead 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Or we get uh, more advertisers. But the thing is, I have to keep emailing people back to get more advertisers. And, like, these ones keep paying us. So, I don't know. <laughs> 
hate emails. <laughs> anyway, um, so he he's off to Chicago to sock himself, and he sees the guy trying to go about his business, like, hey, 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 and chases him into, like, a library, I guess. Well, it's like, he, he's trying to harass the guy on the street, and the guy's like, I'm not interested in your bullshit, uh, and then he's like, runs after him and shows him a picture of the moth and he's like, follow me. And then they go into the but library did you or like something. the straw I did, sir? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then he's like, okay, I will acquiesce to your demands and tell you not really much of anything about the Mothman. Well, okay, so here's here's where all of the unnecessary research into the actual Mothman sightings <laughs> is going to come in. So, he learns in this info dump in the middle of the movie that moths meant represented like dead souls in ancient cultures or some crap. Actually true in some. Not most, but some. He says that the Mothman is a translation from the Ukrainian name they gave to something that was seen at Chernobyl. Not true at all. They did see something similar at Chernobyl. They called it the Black Bird of Chernobyl, and it was only seen by four different people. But still, actually kind of spooky. The name Mothman was invented by the newspaper after they realized they couldn't get away with calling him Batman because of the, the popularity of the comic at the time. But the oh first one was God. People see a big, scary, quote-unquote, Batman. They're like, no, we can't. We can't do that, even though it looks more like a Batman man than Mothman. They're like, okay, well, fuck it. Birdman sounds dumb. Mothman. And that was where the name came from. They interviewed the guy who named Mothman. And the whole story, well, why is it called Mothman? Everyone says it looks more like a bird. It's like, well, because fucking Birdman is a very good title, is it? (laughs) So, yeah, not from Ukrainian. The Blackbird of Chernobyl is from Ukraine. And the Devil of... There's something similar that's saw in England also. Hold on. All I can think of in 
when they were saying like back in the 70s or whatever that Birdman was not a good title is like I feel like I feel like moviegoers from 10 or 12 years ago would disagree but I also haven't seen Birdman so maybe I'll have to watch that at some point Hey, this one starring, um, starring the guy who played the first Batman, right? Yeah, Michael Keaton. Well, I mean, Adam West. Well, I don't even know if Adam West was the first Batman. I think there might have been some guy playing him in serials in the 40s or something. Anyway, Michael Keaton's a cool actor. I like Michael Keaton. And I found it, by the way. It's the Bat Beast of Kent. Is the other... Okay. I might edit that back in earlier if I have a presence of mind to. I might not, but the, uh... The Blackbird of Chernobyl, the Mothman of West Virginia, and the Black and the Bat Beast of Kent are the three. Mothman only got his name from the reporter. But if you're curious, those are the, the real settings. On. I think Bat Beast is a pretty good name. I thought so. Uh, Could he use that? And it being in Kent, three continents. I don't know if there was a disaster in Kent, though. That might have fallen to the other two. Um, hmm. Sorry, I just I found that again. So no, I did. Yeah, that's good. But has always been more, more bird than moth, and was never translated from Ukraine. Okay. Hmm. He said there have been hundreds of sightings. Uh, he also mentioned, um, well, yeah, he said there were hundreds of sightings. Not true. There were like three. <laughs> and he says it was also seen in Galveston before the hurricane. Completely made up, near as I can tell. <laughs> was seen in Chernobyl, was seen in England, never Galveston. That was the thing. <laughs> so that's. That's what I've got. It, it is shown up in cave paintings. True enough, it actually has, which is why it's even weird that they use such a poorly photoshopped cave painting uh, for the movie because there are actually, you know, which is bird men in cave paintings sometimes. That's basic enough. Yeah. And I can find three better pictures on the air that maybe they couldn't get the rights to or something. 
Uh, and that's the end of my fact checking. Because then it's just like philosophical stuff. He says they're a natural condition of the world. That maybe they're harbingers and he doesn't think they cause these things. Maybe they do, who knows? And that because Richard Gere noticed them, they noticed him back. Mm-hmm. They they noticed him noticing them. And because of that, they took notice of him. Yeah. And he's, he says some other stuff later, but on this trip, I think. And yeah, so now, now they're on Richard Gears. Richard Gears on their radar, so that's why they keep prank calling him in the middle of the night. <laughs> he gets back to Point Pleasant in time to see Christmas tree lighting. And then everyone starts immediately uh, airing out all of Gordon's dirty laundry to him. Uh, because that's how small towns work. It's like, while you were gone, this guy got fired and divorced. And 15 more people saw the Mothman. Um... But mostly, this is what Gordon, you know, hopes no one finds out in all of his private business. <laughs> so, and, and police lady asks him, like, so what'd you learn from Guy? And he decides to lie about it for nearest I can tell no reason at all, except he wants to kill everyone. Yeah, I, um, I wasn't entirely sure why he, what his motivation was for basically just saying, no, I didn't meet him. Like, it, and I didn't get it. Yeah, I don't... I mean, just to, to be spookier, I guess. Because being as Richard Gere secretly is the Mothman, he also wants to be a spooky bitch all the time. He just oh, doesn't okay. know yet. That's very fair, yeah. So... So one more point on my my Tyler Durden theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, alarmingly, he finds Gordon on the bridge, which, given what he just learned, could be scary, and I can see why. Yeah. But turns out he's not there to throw himself into the Ohio River. He's there because he wants to talk to the Mothman. He's been hearing him constantly. Which also I don't think was a thing anywhere, but again, I gotta read the book. He's not feeling the cold, and he's he's becoming 
more and more unhinged, but also more and more sort of like a prophet, apparently. Hmm. Uh, which is... Which is alarming and spooky. And pretty cool. Yeah, there's, um... There are a few lines that he keeps repeating throughout the movie, and I, I don't think this is one of them, but he did ask John, like, when was the last time you were happy? And, like, that's a, that's a good point, but also, like, shit, that, that line hit home. Like me. Yeah, uh, 2013, why do you ask? (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Gordon. (laughs) Dead wife dreams, take a shot. Mm He wakes up to dead wife next to him, fake out, cause mm-hmm. it's a horror movie. Yeah. He gets a wake up call just to be spooky. It is unclear whether or not this was the Mothman or if this was actually just the front desk giving him a wake up call. <laughs> We get a poltergeist-esque fake-out-in-the-bathroom mirror for no reason. Where he's like looking at himself and imagines himself smashing his face into the mirror. Hmm. Because whenever you have a bathroom mirror in a horror movie, you gotta do something. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't seem to have anything to do with Mothman except to suggest that that Richard Gere is becoming more and more unhinged because you know his his the separation between his two personalities being to un, unfurl mm-hmm. unravel un Un, un, un be strong un you're sounding like calls. you're sounding like <laughs> me right now this is not a good sign <laughs> Gordon calls <laughs> um says he can't believe he got through which is interesting and cool given what happens in a couple seconds <laughs> um, it's super distorted he says it, it's real I will see you in time yeah which is the same thing that Mothman had said earlier about Richard Gere seeing his wife. 
Yes. Again. So he rushes over to his house and finds Gordon frozen to death out in the woods because at some point over the night he wandered off into the woods to die. As, as you do. Yeah. I um, mean, you know. I mean, if you lose your job, you lose your wife. You. That's understandable. I was just thinking, because it's, you know. It's just sort of a, a fun thing. Because it's. Okay, yeah, yeah I mean. Uh, I mean. Also. No, I, I understand that. No, I, I get it. Yeah. Just, you know, every so often I like to wander out into the forest or, or into the into a river or something and just stand there until I die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's unclear if he was, like, trying to kill himself or if it was just because he had mentioned in the very last scene or the scene before last that you know he was up on this bridge it was really cold he probably shouldn't be standing up here without a coat or whatever mm-hmm. but he's waiting to hear from Mothman maybe he was doing that again you know yeah, it's probably just the like, yeah, yeah. Okay, meeting up with the Mothman in the woods. He said so, and then just goes out there, and uh, you're a little too drenched at this point to realize that you need a coat to sit in the woods all night. Yeah, or whatever. I mean, the cops say he died eight hours ago. Mm-hmm. But the phone call was only about one hour ago. Mm-hmm. Which makes it spooky that he was... He, he couldn't believe he got through on the call. Yeah... Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. For the second time, my notes admit that I'm spooked. <laughs> good, good job, Ruby. <laughs> you spooked me. I'm spooked now. Now Mothman has called the fire chief and done his John impression to ask about chemical plant accidents. Because <laughs> the fire chief walks up to him and is like, Hey, you called and you asked about how the chemical plant was doing about having accidents and I'm here to tell you it hasn't done it before <laughs> and this is when I become sure it's Tyler situation <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
throws a tantrum in his room because Project Mayhem. <laughs> Beats up the mirror. Did I miss anything important here? I think not. He, I guess he talks to the audio engineer because the fire chief had, I guess, recorded, or uh, he, he, he gave him the recording. Uh, sorry. Richard Gear gave him the recording of the fire chief's message of him calling. And the audio engineer's like, yeah, I can't tell the difference between the two. They must be from the same person. And um, that's what causes Richard Gear to have his uh, his tantrum in his motel room. Right, right, because he's realizing I made that call. Yeah, or did night. In my Mothman persona <laughs> and costume. <laughs> I kind of want to see a Mothman as like a as superhero character. I know I know that exists. It's Arthur from the Tick, but like. Um, and there's probably also a Marvel or DC hero named the Moth or whatever. But like, it's also just a six-year-old man crouching on rooftops, prank calling people. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's his superpower: prank calling people at two thirty in the morning. <laughs> With the voice modulator. Sometimes he knocks on the door and asks to use the phone, then runs off. <laughs> <laughs> but he's shining a flashlight in their eyes so they can't actually see it's a six year old man in a moth costume. <laughs> just walks up to the you know make out point and just shines a flashlight in the kids eyes as they're making out gives them conjunctivitis just beams a spotlight into the side of some kid's head <laughs> get married first <laughs> see this movie now I think I think we just did alright we just don't know it no I I mean I want I want to actually see this like actually happen not just the spec scripts we keep creating (laughs) oh I'm saying I think it's called the Mothman Prophecies I think that's what's happening okay he, he goes to visit his, his cop friend and 
She's like, a lady with red hair was just at the police station asking about you. And he freaks out because he married the only lady with red hair in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. So, he, he, the message was to apologize to John for ruining everything. So he gets mad at the cop for some reason because she won't say that it was his wife exactly. Which, you feel like she might be lying, but also that doesn't make sense because, like, why? Yeah. I don't know. You got a little lost at this point. It, it was, um, it's kind of an awkward scene because he's like shoving a photo of his wife into cop lady's face and like yelling at her, saying, like, is this what she look like? And all that sort of stuff. And, like, I understand she's a cop, she's supposed to notice those kinds of details, but, like, I don't know, just, I don't know, it's just, it's strange. It's all very strange. So now, apparently, Mothman is also dressing up as people. <laughs> um, and leaving which prank calls on his answering machine. Mm-hmm. So, because Mothman is now pretending to be his wife, he freaks out and drives to Chicago again. And this time he demands to know what happened to expert guy who was also John Leake. And it turns out what happened to expert guy was he had heard voices that were prophecies, but no one listens to him. He misinterpreted them. And then that got him investigated and divorced and committed. And eventually he decided it was more important to have a life than to have proof. So he gave the whole thing up. And there's this sort of clumsy analogy about like... Well, maybe it's just a different dimension. He can see further into the future and the past, like that guy washing windows up there. He's not smarter than us, but also we're like cockroaches to him. Maybe. And have you ever tried to explain yourself to a cockroach? Maybe it's speaking as plainly as he can, etc., etc. They just sort of go back and forth not knowing anything but but guessing at each other. 
Which is yeah. fair, I guess, what you do in that situation, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So, Richard Gere goes back to the tower room and throws away all his Mothman merchandise. <laughs> and cuts his hair and gets a tattoo. <laughs> He's done with this! He's done with you! <laughs> Except the Mothman's not done with him. Then he calls him. And so he smashes up the phone. But then it ring anyway, even though he smashed it up. Mm-hmm. Except it's just his boss. <laughs> Tom, the governor's gonna gonna be there and that he's going to the chemical plant and that you should interview him because you're supposed to interview him at the beginning of the movie but you refuse to because you go to Point Pleasant <laughs> and John's like oh my god my job in the chemical plant that's what the prophecies are probably about because oh. it's on the river well, cause he... Cause, like, he gets the call from his boss about the... the interview and everything. And then I... I don't know if it's... if it was a recorded message or if it was just a call afterwards, but... It was a call from Mothman saying there would be great tragedy on the river, Ohio. And that's where he puts, like, that stuff together, like, oh, the chemical plant is, uh, is, quote, on the Ohio River, unquote. And it's definitely gotta be, like, there's gonna be an explosion or something. So we have to stop the governor from going there, because... That will stop the the prophecy from coming true is stopping one person from going to this place that's obviously gonna explode. Yeah, like it's I guess it would be a more inconvenient tragedy if the governor also got blown up, but like It's popular either way, man. Yeah, like chemical plant where a bunch of people work. Like stopping one person from going to this is not gonna alter uh, the course of events. I assume it's not gonna alter the course of events to the point where the disaster just straight up won't occur. So, I don't know. And also, he misinterpreted it, just like <laughs> Maj Leek, who's also him. <laughs> By the way, I, I did look he, this. 
I did look up the final destination stuff because I was curious. Final destination. Well, I mean, it came out well after the Mothman Prophecies book, but it came out a couple years before this movie came out, so. Um. Interesting. Wait, it came out after and before? The first Final Destination movie came out two years before this movie. Um, but it came out, you know, well after the book obviously came out. Uh, the Mothman oh, Prophecies oh, book. Sure. So, yeah, I... Okay, sorry. No, it's okay. I, I, I explained it very badly. But yeah, I, I actually didn't realize that the first Final Destination movie is 22 years old. And now I feel even older than I did before. I mean, we're all dying. It's fun. I know, but, you know, thinking about <laughs> how, like, stuff that... I keep thinking is not necessarily contemporary, but I keep thinking that stuff's like not that old is actually 20 plus years old, and it bothers me sometimes. I feel like the millennium is a pretty convenient marker of stuff where like you've got 90s movies and 80s movies and 70s movies and modernish <laughs> like what it, it's all been Marvel movies and derivatives for like 10 years anyway so I feel like <laughs> the early 2000s still count yeah Yeah. John freaks out. He tries to convince the governor not to go, but instead he gets himself fired. He tries to convince his cop <laughs> friend not to go, but she's like, no, you're, you're being crazy like your friend who died in the woods. And also, I'm not going to base things that I do or don't do on prank phone calls from injured cold, which is, I sort of like how pragmatic she is about, like, listen, either you're crazy or you're not and still fuck that guy. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to a hotel that's different than his hotel. I'm not sure why. And watches the news at the hotel bar and sees that nothing happened. But then he gets a letter at the hotel bar from from Mothman <laughs> with it looks like it's got a return address and everything like 
decent Vesky reporting guy, but no. It's just he got a letter saying Mary's gonna call him. Mary is, uh, Grace from Will and Grace. <laughs> we'll call him at noon on Friday in Georgetown. So he's gotta... He's gotta not be at the hotel bar on Friday at noon. Yeah, I actually had to look up who Mary was because I don't remember them ever saying her name in this film. They might have, but might have glossed over it. So I was like, who the fuck is Mary? I had to look up the cast list and realize that, oh, Mary is, is Deborah Messing. Okay, this is wife or something, so. Yeah, and also I don't think John kills married. I think that's an entirely made-up character also. Yeah, more than likely, but... It could be wrong. Mary is the name of, uh, of the reporter, though. That's interesting. Hmm. Or is it... Did I miss it up already? I might have... Anyway. Yeah. Um... A cop lady friend comes to this hotel, notices he's packing up and going back to Washington, and she's like, maybe you should, uh, not base all your decisions on this guy. He's <laughs> like, no, I have to. Mothman hasn't saved Christmas yet. So he <laughs> goes back to his big creepy dead wife house and waits in cold bluish tones while the police lady uh, sits in her house all alone wrapping Christmas presents in warm tones. So... Or to think one of these is sad and one isn't. They're both kind of sad. But... Yeah. But she's gearing up to see people. She's gearing up to talk to someone making... doing an impression of his dead wife. <laughs> the phone does ring like five minutes early, but... It's cop trying to get him to talk to her instead and says pretty cleverly, just like, hey, I was just wondering if you want to talk for 10 or 15 minutes. That was a good line. And this is when uh, I remember that Richard Gere is actually a really good actor. Because mm -hmm. she's saying that she booked him a flight back to Point Pleasant for Christmas Eve. It's unclear if she believes in the voice or if she just thinks he's schizophrenic and sort of falling for her. But for, for either way, 
for some reason she's no she is very confident there's no ghosts and that inner cold either can't talk to his wife or isn't which makes a lot of sense because he's been showing off his impressions of everyone in town for like this entire movie so I don't know why you would assume a call from your ex-wife was her anyway when there's this prankster who's been you and your friend Gordon and the police chief and whoever else, you know? Yeah. So, she is, for whatever reason, very confident there's no ghosts, and the shape-shifting thing is going to be fucking with him whether she calls or not, and invites him to come back in open presence and have dinner with her family, which sounds more awkward than talking to ghosts on the phone, I think. (laughs) But it's meant to be a sweet alternative. (laughs) And he emotes really well and I I like the scene I might cheer up a little bit he's doing real good here yeah um even though I'm also panicking over the thought of having to have dinner in open presence with someone else's family (laughs) in a town I'm not from (laughs) with the other half of my brain is like, oh god, how are you getting out of this one? Uh, but then the phone, it ring. Yeah, like she right doesn't. Mothman says it's going she, to. she doesn't even stay on the phone for the ten for the full ten minutes. Oh, well, she's got to give him a choice. Like, listen, yeah. you have two choices. There's awkward family dinner with someone else's family or talking to someone doing an impression of your dead wife. <laughs> but it has to be you, man. You're the one who has to make the decision. Yeah. And he's like, ha ha, neither, because he doesn't answer it. And instead he pulls the phone off the wall, but it rings again because it's a scary movie. So he leaves. Yeah. I did think that the, um, the sort of parallels between how the Mothman affected Gordon and then affected John was kind of interesting how you know they 
like Gordon seemed to see seemed to be like a relatively normal person for a while until he started to get more messages from the Mothman and you know, became more and more unhinged as time went on to the point where it's like he's he's like actually suffering like physically just for the sake of potentially hearing from the Mothman again and like He's trying to, he's like living for more messages from the Mothman, and then the same thing happens to Rush with the next Mothman contact. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's just, he's just so focused entirely on just hearing more. And then potentially hearing from his dead wife specifically is like, I, I thought that was a good, that was a neat parallel between the two characters and just like, it's, it's good. The script is not very good, but like, some of the storytelling is good and the acting is good, so I will give it that for I'll give the movie that for sure. Yeah, no, I really liked that how it's the uh he's already driving back and forth for like if he's driving from Point Pleasant, D.C. proper, that is the the aforementioned 300-some-odd miles, he's doing entirely on the whim of this thing just told him to. Yeah. Which is only a couple of steps removed from waiting on a bridge all night because something told him to, or going out into the woods in the middle of the night and maybe freezing to death because something told you to. Yeah. Also, when he leaves, it it zooms on his wife's photo that he left on the ground. And the, the light from the the phone is kind of red in her eye and zooms out and it it fades from the reflection of the the glass on the photo was that implying the wife was Mothman the whole time? Maybe. I mean, uh, it's, I mean, none of this stuff that 
happened in the movie happened before she died. That's true. She's the first one who claimed to see him. Yeah. He drives all the way back to Point Pleasant instead of taking that plane that she already spent all the money on. <laughs> so, alright. It's a bit of a dick move. Like, I know cops usually have decent compensation, but still, like, that's a good chunk of money to pay for a plane ticket like same day yeah I mean I guess I guess you would probably have to like rent a car when you got there and stuff but still like well I don't know if he knows he can make that drive in under two hours with his cocaine driving (laughs) then Maybe it's not that long. Maybe. But he drives all the way to Point Pleasant. But there's big traffic back up on the bridge, though. And the cop is on the bridge. And then Richard Gere parks and gets out because he's like, I'm the main character. What's going on? Sir <laughs> um, <laughs> just tells him like, oh, you're here. Okay, then. <laughs> so, <laughs> since you've leapt out of your car like you're going to do something, uh, as you can see, we're all backed up across the bridge. <laughs> Genius. But at the same time, the, the police woman who could actually help also gets out of her car to actually help. But this is when he remembers the thing. There's going to be a tragedy on the river. And it does actually, I think, a really cool shot where it shows how close they are to the chemical plant. They're both on the river. Mm-hmm. And he misinterpreted it like Naj Leek said he would. <laughs> He, he runs to get on the bridge and because he wrote himself into it he like saves everyone <laughs> he runs and gets people to leave their cars and everyone who does survive the bridge does it because because John Keel was there 
<laughs> uh, fun fact, in real life, he heard about the bridge collapse on the news from his apartment in New York. <laughs> but <laughs> in this one, he was there rescuing babies. Um, Only babies. <laughs> None of the parents. Yeah, most babies. Only babies. <laughs> he, he fails to rescue guy that we know nothing about except he's getting married. He <laughs> gets taken out by some cool file destination cable snapping. <laughs> And I actually can't make fun of this part too much because this is pretty, pretty good. They got a model bridge and it's, it's cutting back and forth and falling apart in a pretty realistic manner, honestly. I'm recognizing a bunch of the scream sound effects. There is no Wilhelm scream. Yeah. But I recognize at least three others from other sources, and that's fun. Though, I recognized at least two of them, and one of them, I... The only one that I know the source from is that, like, the other super iconic scream, which is the... The Howie Long Scream from Cliffhanger, I think, is what it is. The, like, really sort of high-pitched male scream. That's There's that one. There's the woman who screams twice. They only used half of that. Mm-hmm. And there's the... That... that oh! One yeah. It's in a bunch of different things. Yeah. Um, was there also? Uh, I only recognize the, I don't know the source of any of these, but I recognize the, uh, the woman screaming twice has been a couple of video games. It's in Diablo, pretty famously, as part of the background track. I don't remember where I heard the... I, I feel like the, the short one's just any time a guy gets punched for, like, the 90s, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I only know anyway, the other one. that was fun. I only know the other one because I, I researched it. Like, I tried to figure out where it was from because I've heard it so many times. So. Yeah. I've actually, I've never seen the movie Cliffhanger. I need to see that at some point. But my favorite, the Wilhelm scream is not present. So I'm only half engaged. Yeah. Whereas I'm almost entirely not engaged in this scene because 
I can't tell what the fuck's happening. Because the camera's, like, yeah. cutting back and forth so much between, like, looking at suspension, um, suspensions, like, snapping and metal grating got across stuff and then the camera cutting to people trying to run off the bridge and cars getting destroyed and people getting killed and all this like loud music and loud grating metal noises like it's severe sensory overload for me so I just kind of had to not watch and like the scene is it's I'm sure it's done really well but it's also like more than five minutes long as like so like I get that they're trying to be realistic but like it felt like it dragged for me just because like I couldn't pay attention to the scene because it was too visually um, jarring and it was way too, there was way too much like um, audio overload for me. So I just like had to sit and wait for the scene to end. So I was like, okay, it's just keeps happening for like five straight minutes. It's very loud, it's chaotic and confusing. I feel like on purpose in a way that actually being on a collapsing bridge probably would be. Oh yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not but it I'm not saying it still is. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad scene. I'm just saying, like, I couldn't enjoy it because the the visuals were going by too quickly and the, the sound was way too chaotic for me, so. But, like, I can see how it would, it would, it would be a good representation of a bridge collapse. Yeah. And then cop falls in. Mm. Yeah. And our hero, John Keel, author of the book, <laughs> dives in and rescues the police because he wrote the book. Yep. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I, that was probably also just added for the movie because I think the book was a lot less cinematic and aggrandizing, frankly. Mm. So that's not even his fault either. It was a made-up thing on top of a made-up thing, but he <laughs> dives in and rescues the cop, and when they surface, uh, the, 
there's lights down below the water and there's presence everywhere and it's just like the dream um, that was announced for no reason <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Which, uh, oh no, like, the first time I saw this movie, this was spooky and it got me. Uh, it was less obvious how inserted the dream was earlier the first time I saw it. Yeah. So, I'm making a lot of fun. It was a, it was a fairly spooky stinger moment. Like, oh, right. Um, except that, like, yeah, why did you even put that in? <laughs> if you weren't going to use it at the end. Yeah. Uh, in this, uh, like, alternate world, um, the fire chief immediately knows how many people died. This <laughs> giant accident's gonna take weeks to dredge yeah. <laughs> out of the river. And it's 36. Mm-hmm. And in her dream, she was number 37 who was told to wake up. And they both realized that at the same time. They were like, whoa. <laughs> so maybe Mothman did save someone's life? Yeah. Maybe not. But the important thing is he got Richard Gere and Laura Lenny together on Christmas Eve, huddled under a blanket. Was that what he was going to do all along? He'll never tell. (laughs) That was... Mothman prophecies colon Mothman saves Christmas. And the final scene of the movie, we see the Mothman in the background, and then he gives this big wink and a grin, and he gives the okay sign with his hand, and then the credits roll. And flies up and... He leaves sparkles behind him and stars, <laughs> and he draws a heart, and then you think he left, and he comes back to an arrow through it, and then he leaves. <laughs> um, movie is actually another, uh, another text scrawl on screen says, uh, the ultimate cause of the bridge collapse is never determined, which is not true. It was an eye beam that was, didn't have any redundancies and it collapsed <laughs> and caused a chain reaction that they identified fairly quickly and uh, it 
led to a bunch of reforms in actual infrastructure repair that have been ignored since Reagan. <laughs> but for a little while. <laughs> Oh, depressing. And it also says that Mothman was never seen in Point Pleasant after that, uh, which is also not true, but it was much less frequent after that point, either because it left or just because people were focused on different things and tired of making up stories for attention. And that's the Mothman prophecies wherein Mothman's main goal the whole time seems to be to get John fired and to move to Point Pleasant for some reason. (laughs) That's another... It's another Beetlejuice allegory sort of thing, right? You know? The the family wants to move to a a small town from a big city sort of thing. That's a lot of movies. I've got to watch that one again, honestly. It's been some years at this point. It's, um, I think it holds up pretty well. The, like, the claymation for sure is still, it holds up really well. Well, like, I still love Keaton. Oh, Birdman. yeah. Hey, yeah. can I kiss you? Yeah. And Tim Burton's aesthetic was never, like, realistic, so I think mm-hmm. it ages better than things that were trying really hard to be clean and glossy for the time. Yeah, for sure. But what did you think of the Mothman prophecies? Um... It's sort of a <laughs> It's sort of a mixed bag for me. I think it was very well acted. I think, you know, like Richard Gere, Laura Linney, um I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Gordon. Um but like everyone does their part really well in this film. And, um, I think that some of the connective tissue between certain characters and scenes is is done pretty well. But the story is really just kind of awkward and muddy and just it like they I think I said earlier they have like a bunch of plot threads that they sort of pick up and then just leave behind and never bother to come back to 
and there was, um, there were probably several reviewers or critics at the time who said, like, um, the movie asks more questions than answers that, than, like, provides the answers to those questions. And that, yeah, it's, it's definitely, like, okay, you're bringing up all these things that are kind of interesting about the whole Mothman and, the like, the concept of the Mothman and everything. But, like, there's no explanation for any of it. And, like, I get that, like, cryptids don't necessarily have to have explanations for them. But it would have been nice to maybe have a couple explanations about the cryptid stuff. So, I don't know. It just kind of... That sort of stuff just kind of gets on my nerves after a while. But, like... I think it's a well-acted movie. I think the the direction, for the most part, is really good. Um, yeah, like it's the story's dumb, and the plot threads don't make any sense. But like, it's decent. Other than that, so. I would, I would say, like, I would recommend it, but don't, like, pay attention to most of the dialogue because most of it doesn't make sense or is just flat out not things that happened in reality. What about yeah, honestly, you? Honestly, I, I thought... Like, I like it. I, I think it's weakest when it's trying to tie itself to the Mothman sightings itself, because it really doesn't have much of anything to do with them. Like, there's a couple real events it relies on. I mean, the bridge actually did collapse. It didn't collapse that day. Uh, it wasn't a Christmas Eve thing. It was just a December thing. Also, 36 people didn't die. More than that did. It was like 40-something. Mm -hmm. They thought it sounded like an unrealistically high number. But I don't know why they even bothered to change that except just to make it fictional. But if they're gonna do stuff like that in the first place, like the... the couple of setting... or the couple of sightings that were supposedly real, like the one outside that lady's kitchen uh, and the one at the quarry really had pretty much nothing to do with what the central 
like mystery of the the story was and I'm like I'm actually totally okay with asking a bunch of questions that don't answer them because that's how investigations usually go and that's how mm-hmm. mysterious uh, things usually go it just seemed like it was trying to tie so many things to it that it sort of made half answers that didn't make any sense on further uh, expansion. Yeah. Yeah. I it's get like if it had just been a fictional thing about like guy is contacted by weird ghost who might be able to talk to his wife but might not and you don't call it under cold and you cut out the three Mothman sightings it's a completely fictional pretty spooky weird thing you know yeah that I think would have worked a little bit better. Because, like, it does... It gets me a couple times. Like, the... The phone call from a guy who had died a couple hours before it was real spooky. The prophecies that wind up being true when you see you know, how they're misinterpreted and if you don't gotten it right were cool and really good moments. And the acting was really good and like it was atmospheric. So I I I like it a lot. I would almost just like it more if it if it cut ties and went its own way and did whatever it wants to do because it clearly was trying to do that anyway and just sort of had had to keep coming back to this thing that it was going to alter so much it was fictional anyway. You know? Yeah. I I I agree. I think it would have it definitely would have been a, not necessarily more interesting, but it probably would have been better if they hadn't tried to sort of shoehorn the whole concept of the Mothman into the rest of the story. I swear I read a story I have to find it now. Um, I swear I read something from like the director who said that he had an idea for this movie and then they had to, they had to not necessarily shoehorn, but they had to sort of kind of work the whole Mothman concept 
into the movie, but I may be wrong with that. How that I'm thinking about it. Well, so I haven't read the book Mothman Prophecies, which is part of the problem. Like, I don't know how much this was... It, it might really faithfully follow that book, in which case, yeah, you gotta put everything you put in it. But, okay, so this is not... This, this isn't necessarily a quote. But this is a thing on Wikipedia article for the Mothman Prophecies movie. It says the director, Mark Pellington, uh, rejected numerous screenplays, uh, sorry, screenplay drafts as literal interpretations of Keel's book and wish to explore psychological drama in a UFO in UFO witnesses. So I guess he didn't necessarily want to have like a an interpret like a literal interpretation of the book. I guess. Yeah, well, UFOs were another one of those things that was in the area that was always considered weird. Then, like, I guess they they brought in because the apparently the reason that John Keel I only know this because I listened to the interview on on Coast to Coast, but the reason he was in. West Virginia in the first place wasn't because something mysteriously plucked him up and moved him there in two hours. It was because he was doing a story on like weird phenomena in the area in the first place, including like a person who had a winged cat was why he was actually there. Hmm. Um that wound up being just like a, a, a thing they had attached wings to or trying to scam people. <laughs> but it was an area that was known for lights in the sky, uh, sometimes red orbs in the sky, which he thought might be in somewhere related to people thinking they were seeing eyes on a mothman. Oh, okay. Hmm. And then just sort of tied all of it together in a way that doesn't quite hold up, I think. But a... A story about there being weird things going on in a town and then a mysterious voice that might be connected to them is real cool. I think those parts were pretty strong. It's just, yeah. you don't need to also make it about maybe a big stork that people were afraid of. 
that's also maybe UFO that's also a guy named Indrid. <laughs> like that was sort of where it where it fell apart, you know. It's probably one of those instances where they like they got the rights to make a movie based on the book, but like the per like the director ended up wanting to do something that was completely different. Like he had his own sort of script or screenplay in in mind already. But when he got attached to direct this thing, he's like, okay, well, we're just gonna still make my story, but we're gonna shoehorn in a few elements from the book just to satisfy whatever requirements they had for licensing out the, the book title or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to... Mm, yeah, I'll read that book. <laughs> I'm going to read the book. Of... Of... I already know that a Mothman-like creature appeared on three cons on three different names, and I've listened to interviews about the guy. Why not? I'm gonna read the book. <laughs> but, uh, but it, yeah, I, you know what? I like this movie. I have a lot of suggestions. <laughs> uh, I have many notes, but I like it, and I would recommend it. Yeah. And if you are seeing it for the first time, you notice a lot fewer of the seams. Like, it is a... Uh, it's not one of those ones that gets better on rewatches. It gets a little bit worse the more stuff you notice. But it's still kind of fun. And the first time it was real spooky, I thought. And if you don't know anything about, you know, Mothman or the sightings or anything, don't learn about it probably didn't happen in the first place and the weird alternate version this movie sets up is spookier even if it makes a little bit less sense yeah I, I would I would go so far as to agree with you on that so yeah I think it's it is a recommendation for me too so, yeah, go watch it. And, you know, don't try to learn too much about Mothman anyway, because I'm never going to betray him. <laughs> He's my lover. <laughs> and, 
you'll never catch him anyway. Because he's too smart for you. So there. <laughs> Sounds like the Mothman is your Mary Sue. That could be out. I, I honestly, it's been a long time since I used that term. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm using it a bit too much today. <laughs> but anyway, I don't. It, it's it's unfair for me to blame Jonathan Keel for all the things that were wrong with this movie because I haven't read his book and it might be entirely things that the studio insists they put in to make it more cinematic. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I do want that disclaimer that, like, listen, I, I say it's funny that he dove into a freezing river to rescue someone because he's the guy who wrote the book. I don't know if that was in the book at at all, I know they made some significant changes to make it more cinematic and that as a protagonist in the book he's really just confused and collecting things so that might not be him either, that's uh take that uh, for what it's worth but I don't uh I was being funny for the podcast. Here's I can tell he wasn't nearly that big a douchebag. So there's that also. Yeah. But yeah, recommend. Yeah. Uh, a light recommend. Not a, not a really solid one, but I'm going to add it to my Christmas movie rotation of movies that are actually Christmas movies even though they don't seem like it. Like Batman Returns and Die Hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds like a good uh, set of films. Speaking of, this is the wrong month for Christmas, but we're getting in the spirit anyway. <laughs> um... Are we still... What are we watching next month? We picked something. It was a good idea. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think we're planning to do Edward Scissorhands. Speaking yeah. Okay, so... As long as we can still find that for free in all the places we could last month, uh, stay tuned for that one. Yeah. And, and watch that one. It's it's less spooky than this one. It won't scare you like this. And Leprechaun might have. <laughs> so and if it's that also. and if it's not on any free sites, then I don't know. I'll have to figure that out. That one. That one might be worth dropping some money on. I think that's a pretty good movie. That's fair. I haven't, oh, I haven't watched it in probably 
25 or 30 years, so we'll see. But I imagine it probably yeah. holds up. I might have exactly the opposite opinion next month. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Alright, well that's gonna do it for us. Alright. Um, until next time, I've been Ben. I'm Sam. trying to remember the line that he said multiple times about I'll see you in time that's what it was I'll see you in time that's exactly it yeah in in Vegas in time sure (laughs) why not I'll see you in Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Clean one, clean one. Sure. Feel spooky? <clears throat> Go for it. I'll see you in time. In Vegas. Yeah. Brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matineemanatees. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. You can listen to our podcast on iTunes, the Stitcher app, or on YouTube. Our music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find this track and hundreds of others on his website in Thanks for listening. <laughs>